0: Drink beer. Think beer. You're listening to Brewed Lads.
1: Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. That from Egyptian Chancellor to the Pharaoh, Imhotep. Man, that's one of your better fake quotes. It is. And one actually pulled from history.
2: I got in my little tiny time machine, went all the way back. Put well, some mascara in my eye. Well, you looked in a history book and found a name. You do put all these names associated with uh, the beer quotes, even if they had nothing really to do with beer, and maybe they never even drank beer. You're just like, that's a historical figure that sounds authentic. That's a name I pulled out of my ass. Sure, yeah. Welcome to episode 65 of Brew Bloods. We are back on the scene well, with One of many beer things lean. you've done that.
1: And this is a very special episode for us. We've got an interview with one of our beer heroes, Michael Pedicolis of Pedicolis Brewing. And we've talked to him before, way back, uh, I don't know, probably 15, 20 episodes ago. Very... And we were at the uh, Untapped Dallas uh, this
2: year That was a very different type of interview Very less intelligent More drunk um, More just talking about how great his stuff was And then casually asking hey, a question Do you like beer? <laughs> he got some great beer Do you, do you enjoy the brewing's a beer?
1: <laughs> do you like how, some, how brew go? Do you like hop? <laughs> right, exactly But uh, it's a really we got really got in depth uh, with Michael on current news. We got so deep. We got so deep. We we always like to go deep. We dig deep, and um, (laughs) we got into current events, and then we got into sort of his philosophies and his history, just growing up in Texas. And his life as a lawyer,
2: but uh, all that will be coming up here shortly. But the whole thing was really cool, too, just the way that he was so open about doing it and invites us in while they're doing a brew there, and we're pretty much uh, just there with the crew and stuff. And, and they're renovating a bathroom. They're renovating a bathroom. Uh, Dustin got to enjoy the ladies' I did. room, I did. And then they, uh, you know, of course, poured some beers for you, too, which yeah. was, was pretty awesome to do just in an off time like that. Yeah, he was uh, quite, quite generous. Oh, so yeah. uh,
1: we've been trying to put th- this together for a while, and... Uh, it just, we've been like I said in the interview itself, I dropped the ball, but uh, it's been a long time coming, and I think it, uh, I think it's our best interview to date, and. Uh definitely our most
2: in-depth for sure. definitely the most in-depth and because we did a thing called prepare for the interview well we've you know it's not like we haven't prepared in the past i think it's just we're one other one we prepared for a lot of them been on the well, fly
1: the nine moon we we did not because right. that was definitely on the fly but Tubbs was uh, the only
2: other one that we prepared we for. did but that was like our first interview so i was like <laughs> way more nervous and, and i was so. super late and you had to do most of it yourself yes. so.
1: but anyways let's get to we have a couple of uh, fan communications here we have got uh, one from i've uh, got an email here electronic mail they didn't fax it? They didn't fax They're it. Send it uh, by pigeon? We do have a, fa- a fax line if you want to try to fax. We'll print it out
2: on our dot matrix printer. But If you like to send it by pi- uh, carrier pigeon, too, we can do that. That's true. Just send it to Dustin's house. Mark is always at home, so <laughs> you can just send it to his home address. And I have a coop at the top of my house where
1: exactly. I get all my carrier pigeons.
2: He pretty much has a motorized chair that takes him around this house. So he uh, never has to get up and do anything.
1: Uh, this email, yeah, it's very Wally style. Very idiocracy. Uh, <laughs> this email comes from one Troy. He says, he's, uh, this is Troy from hey, Ohio. England? Oh. Yeah. You know, that's a name you don't hear much anymore is the, is the name Troy. I know.
2: That's the why my mind immediately
1: went there. It seems like a more 70s name, like <clears throat> spinning out of like the 70s college culture or something. I don't know. Like you think about, you would think that with the success of the Dallas Cowboys that uh, there'd be a lot more Troys in this world, but True. not a lot how of about, Troys. How about like a Royce? Do you like, hear that very much? Royce is even, that even goes farther back though. You think so? Who's going to name their kid after Royce City? uh hopefully no one exactly <laughs> that's exactly why you don't hear the name Royce or Royce Curtis or, or Royce Curtis who's gonna name the kid after Royce Curtis that's true nobody because no but, one knows but who that Troy is. at least is a popular right. media figure that if, if people are, if dumb people are gonna name their kids after Twilight book characters what? then you think they could name them at least after a successful
2: athlete there's not a lot of Hanks even though we had Hanks, a successful true. run of King of the Hill hmm. and you I should name point. yourself after a Mike Judge character yeah you should you should like uh, Mountain Dew
1: Camacho. Right. President uh, Hector Elizondo Mountain Dew Camacho. Exactly. That's Perfect. What you sh- Troy, that's what you should name your next baby, <laughs> is Hector Elizondo Mountain Dew Camacho. And then the next one can be Hank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hank Pepsi <laughs> Camacho. Right. Uh, anyways, his email, he has nothing to do with that. But uh, he says, hey, guys. First of all, I don't appreciate the uh, just the assumption that we're guys. I, I mean, maybe I'm just a lady with a really deep voice. That's possible. I don't know. I don't appreciate that. Uh Malefication of our culture here, but I'll allow it this time.
2: Never, never proven that uh, you aren't. A That's female. right.
1: Nobody's ever seen me. That's true. I could just be tucking it back, or I could be uh, not have one at all. That's true. Could be only, only one person can confirm that. That's right. I could be hot dogging it in my tank. You'd never know. <laughs> but he says, "Hey guys, listen. to The most recent podcast where he talked about Stone's scheme to aid smaller brewers, and this is our reference I'm to Greg Koch's uh, fund of where he's trying to help brewers who are looking to expand and they need help financially rather than selling out." Uh, he says, living here in Ohio, I'm getting excited for the BrewDog Brewery to open, and you well should be. But he says, what do you think about their Equity for Punks finance scheme? If it works, can you see this becoming a trend? Equity for Punks is uh, basically BrewDog's plan. They, they're they basically crowdfunding without the aid of Kickstarter or oh, uh, GoFundMe I think is another one. Sure. Um, GoF me. Fund it up. Uh, I think it's a cool idea. I'm kind of surprised that I, I go back and forth on this, right? It's kind of like the Green Bay Packers, right? There, they you can buy shares of the team, right? And it kind of gives you a sense of ownership <laughs> and pride in that team. Gives you a vote. Gives you a vote. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know all the details about equity for punks, other than it's mu- it's very similar in that you can buy you can buy shares in Brewdog. And it allows them to build more craft beer bars. It allows them to build new breweries, and they're building this one in Ohio so that they can get more beer to America.
2: I'm guessing it's also like ownership in the Green Bay Packers in that uh, ultimately you don't really have say over what brew dogs does or anything like that that right. you're just uh, funding an account that allows them to do things and you get like some maybe some ownership pride like you said right yeah, that's uh, I, I would guess it's the same kind of thing're you so, basically putting yeah.
1: on the the brew dog jersey right exactly like your, your little brew dog cheese hat as it were right. I think it's a cool idea. I don't know. I, I forget. I, I considered it briefly. I can't remember all the rewards you get with investing at various
2: levels. Um, I think it's a cool idea. I think... And, what, and this guy could invest at the highest that's level. Right. There is no doubt. My portfolio is so luxurious. He would get so much investment. So it's the best portfolio. It's a tremendous investment.
1: Um, I don't... I think it's a cool idea, but I think part of the problem here is... Well, for the bigger... Well, the, the mid-sized bird that's looking to expand, I think it's a good idea. If you have public favorability and you have public awareness if maybe i don't know if if you can't get if you get nine by greg coke or i don't know what all of greg coke's terms are to get that money sure if you can get it i think that's awesome i think it's great because it's a, it's a sign that people are voting with their dollar literally for your brewery to keep to prop you up right i think it's a great idea i mean it's cool uh our one of our guy our friends vagabond saints on twitter he has uh, a clothing store that he just opened in... He's our uh, guy. Alberta? Toronto? Yeah. Canada? I can't remember. I forget which... Uh, or maybe it's, I don't know. Somewhere in Canada, he has a store. <laughs> he designs custom shirts, hats. Uh, he designed our logo from the break room. Uh... Anyways, he just opened up a store. He did some crowdfunding. I think crowdfunding is a great thing. I did it. I, did it. I funded um, Help Fund Reading Rainbow to bring it back it's, to kids. It's a wonderful thing. I've, I've done a couple of projects here there. Veronica Mars. Um, I think crowdfunding is awesome. And I think for a brewery, if it's done right, if you follow up on the money... If you follow that money and you follow up on it and make sure things get done, I think it's awesome. And sure. I and the great thing about BrewDog is they're ambassadors for beer, and they have the TV show on Spike, and they uh, are very energetic about beer. And I, sure. they're ones that you know they're going to follow up on their promises.
2: I would I would give money to them. I would give money to Stone, and I would give money to Dogfish for sure. Just off the top of my head, right. I feel like those guys are all super dedicated to the to the craft beer game and. Uh, I would be shocked if any of those guys ever did a did a sellout. I'll put it that way.
1: Where I have a little bit of problem is new breweries, right? Sure. Um, If you have an upstart brewery that is looking to to fund their startup via Kickstarter, (coughs) that's where I have a little bit of a problem because I mean, sure, I can I can help you out. I can lend. I can toss you fifty bucks, but obviously, there's no guarantee you may even make it through. As we've seen with Dead Cowboy here locally.
2: Yeah, and you know, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I had an opportunity back in the day to fund 512 in Austin, and they actually gave you ownership shares and said, you know, if we get this off the ground and go, um, you get a name, you get your name in a brick wall, I guess, at the brewery that says you were an original fund, uh, someone that funded it, and then you also had that percentage share of the actual company going forward. Probably would have been a good idea to have done, but I didn't do it eh, at the time. well... Uh, but you know that's i mean that's kind of a cool thing it's more of a venture capital type investment you know it's it maybe it's uh i don't know what you'd call it is it the is it the angel funds i can't whatever the rich guys do where they yeah angel funds yeah you know it's probably more along those lines i wouldn't put uh, my 401k into something (laughs) like that but if you got a couple of bucks i don't mind uh and you actually like what that brewery is going to do and uh i don't know i don't have a problem doing that either I, i just think you need to you need to be aware of what you're doing. If you're going to put it in with uh, BrewDog, I mean, obviously, you shouldn't put any of this money in an investment expecting a big return. Uh, the BrewDog thing seems more of a like a assistance fund than it is I'm going to make money fund, oh, like yeah. the 512 was. Well, no, so you just got to know what you're doing, what you're going into it, no, and I, why you're doing it. With equity for, for punks, let's be clear, you're not getting a return right, financially. Exactly. You're, yeah.
1: getting, you're getting...
2: Pride right. of assistance, yeah. Pride of assistance.
1: It's, yeah. an, it's an emotional return, right? And you're getting. I think some. There's some cool benefits if you do invest. I can't again. I can't remember what it is. But as far as I, is it becoming a trend, I don't know. I, it may for the established brewer. I don't think it's going to work out as well for an upstart unless unless that person is someone who has proven themselves to be a good brewer. But the problem is when you're an upstart, nobody knows you. Other than maybe in homebrew competitions, <laughs>
2: unless you spin off, yeah, like if you were a brewer somewhere and you spin sure. off to your own,
1: yeah, let's say, uh, let's say Michael Petricolas had a brewer who uh, wanted to go start his own brewer uh, brewery, and he was famous in the community, and he could get enough attention, or conversely, someone at Stone at a much larger brewery, sure. who was a no name, who had the backing of Greg Koch, who would pr- uh, probably talk about it, then. Maybe that would work. Sure. But just for your casual upstarts, some guy who just wants to hop in the game, I don't see that becoming a trend because that's – I don't think a lot of people have a lot of faith. But for your guys who have been established and who are looking to expand – I think it could become a good way to expand and get that financing without selling
2: out. Those other guys will have to go to a true uh, uh, angel-type fund right? that somebody just says, oh, sure, I think this beer looks good. Yeah, you know. And the reason we're talking about this is because
1: uh, when normally we probably would have left these for the next episode considering this is a long-form interview, but both of the, this email and uh, the voicemail we're about to play both have something to do with what we talk about in the interview. So here's a inter- uh, voicemail from Johnny B., <laughs>
2: on BrewBloods.
0: Hey, BrewBloods, this is Johnny B. Uh, giving you a call, just wanted to give you a heads up, just listen to the episode. Uh, kind of interesting news. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar out of Minnesota came and visited the distillery I worked at, um, and she's a champion in regards to the AB and Bev Miller Coors uh, merger and what she was talking about. Um, they couldn't really stop it because they've got some sort of Legalese in their paperwork, but what was interesting was the way she talked about distribution and, um, she's going to send us more information, but she's really doing what she can to make sure that the little guys, craft brewers, uh, have a voice when it comes to distribution, um, with potential fines of, you know, $10,000 per store, she said, um, in regards to, uh, equality versus, you know, big brewers versus uh, craft brewers. Um, but once I get that paperwork, I'll send it through to you. But um, just once again, Amy Klobuchar, senator out of Minnesota, is really doing what she can to help the little guys. Love the show. Talk to you soon. Bye.
1: So uh, before we address this, uh, I love the Google uh, text to s- or speech to text. Yeah, no, uh, no, I know. This is, uh, he, he said, you know, big brewers versus craft brewers. Well, it translated it to
2: big bears versus crackers. <laughs> did you uh did you see what he what it translated for brew bloods right off the bat uh oh boo boo <laughs> yeah. yeah hey boo boo hey boo boo <laughs> hey boo <boo-boo>. boo
1: <laughs> I think that's how you should always address
2: us from now on, <laughs> hey right. boo boo exactly yeah that's uh that's
1: that's interesting i I don't know that I have a lot to really say about that other than when you send us that paperwork we will send it to our show attorney right exactly the brew bloods barrister ryan <laughs> he will uh decipher
2: all the legal deeds <laughs> exactly for us. he can maybe break it down and let us know what that means in plain terms,
1: yeah because i mean. Don't be surprised. We read it about a second grade level. Oh, yeah.
2: And I speak at about a three-year-old level. So Our reading comprehension is about the same as Trump's vocabulary.
1: Yes, exactly. We have about a hundred-word vocabulary. <laughs> so, as you've noticed. But he will, uh, Ryan, our our show attorney, will break it down into pictures right. and little pop-ups. He'll, he'll, he will he'll craft an entire pop-up book just for that. He'll do it, and then we'll say, now tell me like
2: I'm a three-year-old.
1: And then he'll even <laughs> exactly. dive it down even more. Puppet shows, all kinds of right. things. Uh, but yeah, thanks for the thanks for the input, and it's good to know that. I, I don't know. You, I feel conflicted about the whole politics of the situation. That she, if she's the champion for the merger, that kind of worries me. But if there's a bent for the craft brewer, okay, I'll listen at least. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I don't. I don't know the whole. We, as we talk, we get really in depth in the whole politics and in, in the show about about how politicians are affecting us and affecting the craft brewer specifically, not us,
2: but the craft brewer. So. And, uh michael makes reference to that too in the interview yeah taking things out of the political spectrum and the influence that has yes so i think it's time we
1: should just get straight to the interview this is our interview with michael pedicles the owner proprietor head brewer whatever title you want to give him uh top to bottom he is everything pedicles michael pedicles a pedicles brewing company
3: Yeah. yeah, no problem. Yeah, I heard y'all reference that, and I got a good laugh out of that. But yeah. that's, that's what I like about yeah. those festivals. Frankly, yeah. you know, it's a little bit different. It's, you yeah. guys come in today all, yeah. all off your sober. jobs, right? <laughs> you yeah. haven't even started drinking, right. you Pretty know. Yeah. And so sometimes when you run into the festival crowd, things are going a little bit differently. But that's what makes a festival fun. It makes yeah. a festival a festival. So I was laughing about it at the time, and I was <laughs> definitely laughing about it. Uh, when you referenced it on the show I listened to today. Well, Michael Petticolos, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm appreciative of you guys reaching out to me to
1: join you. Yeah, we've been trying to... We've been going back and forth, I guess it seemed like forever. And then I dropped the ball right before we went on vacation. And I was meant to follow up, and I totally forgot. And then it was like, the day we were getting ready, we decided we are going to do sit-down for the last episode 64. I was like, oh, crap, I totally forgot to... You know, follow up on that. So oh, shoot. I was
3: supposed to talk to the guy that made this <laughs> totally beer. forgot about, about that. beer. Well,
1: getting away and getting to Hawaii will do that to you. Make, make you forget things. Plus yeah. a lot of drinking.
3: Yeah. Hawaii's a lot of fun, though. And I, I'm on the other side of the fence of you two. Yeah. I would, because y'all posed the question, would you rather be in Hawaii with the limited craft beer selection? Right. Or here in Texas with what we've got? And I've known enough people who have lived in Hawaii to say that, it's awesome, and it is paradise, but living there, you feel so far removed, yeah, and all of those that. guys have eventually moved back, so I'm taking the other answer, yeah. and I'm going to say I would rather live here in Texas with our <laughs> supply than Hawaii. Fair enough. So just for the record, I record wish it straight.
2: You, uh, you definitely take my wife's perspective because she fears that it would be very removed, and we would get tired of it after, after a certain point as well. Yeah, the two-week vacation is
3: awesome, yeah. but the uh, four year Trying to figure out phone call times to call your friends. Oh, I, I... I don't know. Yeah, when I was there, I worked three or four days
1: on mainland time, so I was starting work at 4 a.m. and working till about 1, because I well, worked 10-hour days also, and so it was like... Yeah. That's, that's, that's your problem. You shouldn't be working well,
3: when you're in Hawaii.
1: <laughs> when, you're, when you're a contractor, you make these compromises sometimes, keep I your understand. hours up, those billable hours. Understand. So we wanted to... We definitely want to go back and start from the beginning and figure out how this whole thing came to be, but... We did talk about the last episode um, a little bit, um, although we recorded it. It came out after the news came out, but we recorded it before that news came out. So we co- kind of sort of mentioned it, that uh, you have a lawsuit, you and several, Revolver and the, uh, I always want to call them the Injustice Society, but that's from DC Comics. Uh, <laughs> Live Oak. Uh, Live Oak. And uh, what's the Injustice, uh, Institute for Justice, not Injustice. Ah, yeah. Yes. That uh, you guys filed a lawsuit last year to uh, get rid of uh, SB 639, which is the sales restriction law, which is where it's part of the three tier distribution system. And basically, you don't, you sell your distribution rights and they can do whatever they want with them after that. You can never get any other compensation for them, right?
3: Do I understand completely? Yeah, I mean, you've got the basis there. Um, When you sign a distribution agreement in Texas, you are signing with an individual distributor. So for whatever the territory is, it can be very large or it can be very small. I mean, you can actually enter into a distribution agreement with a distributor for a single address. So for instance, if I wanted to get into a location I haven't had success getting into, um, you know, maybe American Airlines because they basically only buy beer from distributors, then I could you know, give away rights as small as that very address. Mm-hmm. And, but I do want to correct you because you said you can sell those rights. You can't currently sell those rights. In oh, you can't? Okay. You could sell those rights. So uh, you can only have a single distributor in a single territory, and then the length of that agreement is basically into perpetuity. It is almost impossible to... Uh, Void a contract with the distributor. Mm -hmm. There is a good cause exception if you can actually show good cause. And the distributor has a period of time to cure their defect. Um, But if you are successful in breaking that contract, one of the measures of damages is the value of the brand. So Mm -hmm. if I wanted to break my contract with distributor A, um, and I was successful in arguing that it should be broken and I should get my territorial distribution rights back, then I would have to pay distributor a whatever the value of my brand is right um, so what happened in two thousand and thirteen when they passed the uh, s b six thirty nine as you 've alluded to it made it illegal for a brewer to sell those territorial distribution rights to a distributor where prior to the law being passed, you would have competing distributors um, approaching various brewers to uh, you know basically make the play that, Hey, we would like to distribute your beer. And we are such a firm believer of you and your brand. We're willing to pay you for the right to distribute your beer because it basically lasts a perpetuity mm-hmm. and they're your only distributor. Um, and so you could receive cash value for the brand that you had built. They passed that law and literally made it illegal for me to sell my territorial distribution rights to a distributor. I literally have to give them away. If I want here locally Benny Keith or Andrews to distribute my beer the way the law sits right now maybe not in two weeks but the way it sits right now uh, neither one of them could offer me any valuable consideration to distribute my beer I literally have to give away those rights for free and then to put insult to injury and- I'm a lawyer. You know this. So yeah. what a normal person says in five minutes, sometimes a lawyer says in ten. But what adds insult to injury is the rights that I just gave away for free, a distributor could then freely go sell to another distributor. So distributor A, who I give my rights away to for free, right. could then sell those rights to distributor B mm-hmm. for, I don't know, let's just say a million dollars just to make right. it you an know, uh, easy round number. And I have, there's nothing I as a brewer can say about that agreement. That's between those two parties. And so you've got a distributor who received rights for free, who then benefits uh, by selling that brand to another distributor and then take it to the next logical step. If I try to break that contract and am successful, I have to pay that distributor. So right. the only person who is losing out is the, you know, the small guy, me, the brewer, brewer, the guy who created the actual brand. The it's one very anti-small small business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is... Um, And that's the crux of the lawsuit. It's a constitutional claim. I think that's where you're going anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's, uh, you know, you can't just, uh, you need to have some rational basis, some justification for taking away a right and enriching one party to the detriment of another. And where is, what is that right? Why does the TABC feel that, you know, two parties, or the state of Texas perhaps I should say, that two parties, a willing Distributor and a willing brewer can't just get together and contract amongst the two of them um, in any way they say f- see fit, you know. So they, of course, have defenses, and right. whether those defenses will ultimately prevail, we'll see. Time will tell. So why? Because we're obviously not lawyers here. Uh,
1: why a lawsuit versus trying to enact legislation, or is that, that the only path
3: for you? No, that's it's a good question. Um, I'm the kind of person because of my background. I really sit and think about all of my various options. Mm -hmm. And you're right. uh, Going the legislative route is definitely um, an avenue that you can pursue. So the 2017 Texas legislature is not in session this year. They're in session next year. So in 2017, we could potentially file a bill um, to revoke the language. I mean, because It's basically only a sentence that we're quibbling about here. We could revoke that language via the legislature. So that is one avenue. Mm -hmm. You could do that, or we could still do that. Is that going to be the guild's agenda? Um, I don't know whether it would be or not. I mean, this is something you kind of go through a process with all of your other guild members. You know, what is most important to the Texas Craft Brewers Guild? Right. Um, And so I think of, I've got that avenue available to me. Um, But I also have the avenue of taking it out of the legislature altogether, Uh, you know, uh, taking it out of politics, if you will. I mean, there's – and rest assured, politics are a very big part of what happens in the legislature um, in session and out of session. And so, you know – to have the ability to go through the court system, to put it in the hands of an independent judge who doesn't have a dog in a fight, who doesn't raise money for, you know, uh, from distributors, uh, and let them rule upon an issue of law where, where you're not really talking to a legislator or a lobbyist about, you know, a law that should be passed or what its effect is. You're talking about, you're talking directly to the court, and addressing an issue of whether or not that law is valid. Is it constitutional? Right. And so for me, um, I'm, I want to exhaust all of my legal remedies. Right. I'm not going to just exclusively go down one route to the detriment of all the others. I'm going to try whatever I can. But I wasn't going to sit back and uh, do nothing when I built mm-hmm. a brewery and am doing my best to build a brand, to have the legislature literally take away my rights. I, right. I took a personal affront to it, frankly. <laughs> Understandable. I mean, I built a career protecting people's rights. So when my rights were taken from me, it was, uh, I, like I said, I kind of took it personally.
1: So it, uh, to me, when I read this, it sounded really ridiculous, but the Assistant Attorney General, Karen Watkins, said that a change to this law could lead to, quote, societal ills like organized crime and prostitution... Is there, it seems, obviously it seems like it sounds outlandish, but is that, is there any real concern from that?
2: And and just to add on to that too, I think another one of the concerns they brought up that I read in the Austin American Statesman was the fact that if, let's say, brewery A sells their distribution rights to the distributor for 50 grand and brewery B sells their distribution rights for 200 grand, then there's going to be unfair, uh, they're going to be able to handle that in an unfair way based on however much they paid for those individual distribution rights. Do you think there's any merit to that either?
3: Uh, all right. Yeah, a couple different questions there. Um, I'll try to remember them both as I address them. Uh, first, y- y- yeah, that comment. Um, that was made during the hearing, what, two days ago now, I guess. That is what the state is alleging. When I, you know, reference that you can't just uh, financially enrich one party to the detriment of the other party without some rational basis rational basis or some justification, that's what the state is latching on to, that, um, no, there is a justification for us being involved in... Um, Regulating the alcohol industry, and it's because we want to make sure that people aren't out there, uh, uh, you know, getting drunk. Basically, she brought it back to the Times of Prohibition when, you know, uh, in fact, I don't really know what exactly the status was then. But, you know, she talked about a number of societal ills, whether it was prostitution or human trafficking. That didn't actually make the article, but human trafficking um, was referenced, and in my opinion, absolutely not, it has zero to do with it. Whether I sit down with a distributor to negotiate the sale of my territorial distribution rights, I think it has absolutely zero, zero effect on whether someone consumes alcohol or not. I don't think it has any effect whatsoever, and that's, I mean, that's at the heart of the suit. That's why I think it's unconstitutional. There is no valid reason that the state should be able to say, oh, no, Let's make sure the brewer doesn't you know, uh, profit from his brand. Everybody else can. It's just not um, a reason that I think holds merit. But, you know, And the judge didn't
1: oh. seem to either. It seemed like, uh, from what I read, she seemed to toss that argument aside, that it was kind of ridiculous.
3: Well, I mean, what I've said about the hearing itself was, if I had written a script, I don't think I could have written it any better. I mean, things went extremely well for us. Um, however... What you have to understand is that a judge may pepper one side and then two weeks later rule in their favor. Uh, One thing that she did say is that she was going to make a ruling within two weeks. So I was actually very pleased to hear her say that because she doesn't have to make a ruling in two weeks. She could sit on it for four weeks, for three months, you know. Um, So for her to say, hey, I'm going to rule on this is is huge. And so as good as I felt when I left there, um, you have to temper that enthusiasm knowing that, you know, there are going to be times in the legal profession when you think you're going to win and you lose. And there are going to be times in the legal profession where you think you're going to lose and you win. Um, all that being said, you know, when I filed a lawsuit, I thought I was in the right. I didn't think that law was constitutional. There's a Texas Supreme Court decision passed last year that kind of clarifies the standard and I think even bolters, bolsters our claim. So I believed we would win then. I believe even more strongly that we will win now. But, again, it's it's. I'm not the one making the decision. It's this impartial third party, this judge. And, you know, what happens after that, we'll see. So do you
1: want to add, Ryan, your other question? You want to ask that again?
2: Oh, yeah. I was just curious if, <clears throat> like I said, I read a little bit in the Austin American Statesman, one of their arguments was um, if they pay different amounts to different breweries that the distribution could somehow be uh, – I guess influenced by that, depending on who paid more. But um, I, I guess my personal thought is they're probably going to promote their more popular brands anyway and give them better, maybe give them better shelf space and that kind of thing. I, I don't know exactly how the, dist- uh, the distributors handle that. But um, do you think there's any validity to that part of the state's argument?
3: No, I really don't. Um, I think there's a misunderstanding about a distributor's role from the beer consumer's perspective. Um, I think a lot of people, and I think even some brewers have this misperception or misconception, I should say, that when you sign a distributor, they're going to sell your beer. That's not the case. You are still responsible for selling your beer. The distributor is simply going to get that beer to the retailer that is ordering it. You know, you look at some of these distributors. They have a massive portfolio. Do they care which beer they're selling? Talk to a distributor, ask them, do they want to sell a lot of beer? It's their bottom line. Darn right they want to sell a lot of beer. But the um, real crux of it is the brewer. You're still responsible for selling that beer. So if I sell my rights to or give away my rights, if I can't sell them to a distributor, I don't expect that distributor to sell my beer. I'm going to continue to sell my beer, which is, again, why I think I'm in the right. This is my brand I'm selling. So do you have to sell to
1: this, uh, for instance, because we don't know. Do you sell to, like, if you were going to get your, if you decided to start bottling and uh, you wanted to put it in Kroger, do you have to go to Kroger directly or distributor do that for you?
3: Well, that's a good question. Um, a distributor is going to have some inroads. Some Mm -hmm. folks that you can talk to. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, they deal with those people day in and day out. So they have the ear of the people um, that make these decisions. But I'm the kind of guy that I'm still going to go in there. Right. um, And I'm going to sell to these guys and, you know, make sure that they are being taken care of and that we're providing whatever it is they need. And I, guess because, on the- I mean, some of it's, uh, you know, once you sign a distributor, typically they're going to merchandise that for you, make sure. sure it's okay. But you can't just ignore it and think it's all being done. You better stay involved. And if there is an issue, address it with your distributor. And you're looking for a distributor that you have a good relationship with and that does this for a living and uh, uh, is going to be able to handle whatever you throw at them. Now, but the
2: distributor does handle exactly, let, let's just say, again, like Marcus said, if you did bottle your beer, they do... Um, have some influence on if you're at the eye level shelf or if you're at the bottom shelf and that kind of stuff too right is there any kind of I don't know how the breweries interact with that part but I've heard that from uh, we've had discussions with other breweries that have had that concern when they did sell off uh, their distribution rights to say what kind of uh, exposure we're going to get in a Kroger or you know a Tom Thumb or whatever and I guess I don't know exactly how that works but uh, I would think the distributor kind of makes those decisions based on what they Feel is more popular and will sell more, right? Or if they get, or if maybe they get more money from the individual brewer. I don't know exactly how that works, but well, again, we're talking about
3: you know three different levels of the three tier system: the manufacturer, the distributor, and the retailer. And ultimately, the person who gets to to decide what beer they have on their shelves is the retailer. I mean, if I if I own a grocery store, I don't care what my distributor says. I don't care if they want to put. If they want to put a beer that is not selling at my grocery store at eye level uh, all the way across the refrigerated section, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to do that. Um, they can provide you sales data and help you make that decision and show you what is selling and what is not selling. Um, and that's where you, you know, it's, they're, it's, they're, they're a resource. And you use that resource. And they're a valuable resource. I mean, these distributors, they're great at what they do.
1: So back to the assistant AG there, there wasn't a lot of context around the statement in the article that I read, but she said that the quote, "The distributors do not control the entire legislature at least there is no proof that they do is that Is that an argument that you guys levied during your, during your part during your, your arguments I mean, or was that just something she inferred and tossed out there on her own?
3: Well, throughout the course of a hearing, uh, you know you would actually do address facts or issues that sometimes aren't necessarily germane to the question of law mm-hmm. before the court, but it will help with context. And so if a judge is confused about how things are operating, um, they may ask for clarifying uh, questions on that. And so what, where that question came from in the courtroom was reference to how uh state Uh, SB 639 was introduced into the legislature and there was evidence basically showing that uh, the WBDT had uh, for all intents and purposes written the nearly exact language I don't think it was exact but very close to the actual language that ended up being in a sponsored bill and so there was uh, a, a bit of an evidentiary paper trail that we were able to Demonstrate, and so I think that comment of "Hey, they don't distributors don't control the legislature," you know, that is one thing. But when you follow it up with "Well, at least there's no proof
1: yeah, they but, do," you know <laughs> that,
3: that. Yeah, that, well, that kind of think, says it all. I think
1: we all know how Washington works, and even in the smaller, in the local governments, it's lobbyists. Man, they have far too much power, and they are known for writing bills and handing them over to reps. So it's not uncommon practice. Um, I did see a couple days ago, I think it was yesterday, in fact, you said you put out a tweet and you said that you had, you had seen some backlash from some other Texas brewers. So I'm not asking you to name names, of course, but what were their concerns or their criticisms of what you guys are taking on?
3: Well, you know, again, you asked a question earlier about, well, do you go the legal route or do you go the legislative route in trying to... Um Grow Texas craft beer. That's what I'm really trying to do here. I love craft right. beer. So Our, I, you know, I'm, I fight for the small guy. That's and I'm the smallest of small guys. You know, we're in my brewery here. It's pales in comparison to the size of many of these. You know, still brand new brewers who are just opening up. Um, and it really results in a philosophical difference between me and some of my fellow brewers out there with concern to how this all happened, how it all went down. Um, because not only are there politics at play on. You know uh, the distribution side of the fence, trust me, there is politics at play within the brewer side as well. Um, for the most part, we are very, very aligned a hundred percent but I will say, and I have said that there were definitely some brewers who weren't happy with me uh, utilizing one of the legal remedies that is available to me, which is litigation. Um, I flat out don't understand the objection. I'm trying to better the rights for all Texas craft brewers. There are a lot of Texas craft brewers that don't have this right anymore. They already have distributors. So, you know, they don't really have a dog in the fight, and a vast majority of all those guys support us as well. And more brewers than not, don't misunderstand me, certainly support this. But there are some who believe that when you move or exhaust your legal remedies to the point of filing litigation that it harms your legislative agenda because then you're going to have that what they're going to have to face is alright we're moving through the legislative process but you've got some of those brewers out there that are going to file lawsuits and so they have to you know uh, kind of answer to that where to me it's not it, it, the point's almost moot. I shouldn't have to answer to uh, the fact that I want to exercise my constitutional rights. Right. I mean, if you're violating my constitutional rights, I'm, I, I'm sorry if you're bent out of shape that you don't like it. I'm going through uh, litigation, but it was the avenue that was made available to me, and I'm going to utilize it. And, I'm you know, I, I, it's, it's too bad that they see it that way, but some people do believe that it harms our legislative initiative I actually think it strengthens our legislative initiative. I think that if we actually are successful, um, you go to the table and say, yeah, not only are we asking for this, but if you do this, we, we're going to sue you and we're going to kick your butt in court. Just right. like Jester King did and just like hopefully you know, we do in our suit. So I think it basically gives you a stronger uh, position at the bargaining table. But there's just not – I mean, I'm one guy and I'm mm-hmm. – I've said it many times I'm unconventional and I do things a little bit differently and I'm not afraid to ruffle feathers. And if I believe in something and it's the principle of it, um, I I really don't waver. And so I'm not going to, I mean, I literally have been asked if I would drop that lawsuit Mm -hmm. by folks that would, it would surprise you to hear, but you're right. I'm not naming names. I'm not playing that road, but um, it's, kind of saddens me that i actually got Mm -hmm. that request because it indicates to me and you know talk to those guys they may feel differently but Mm -hmm. it just shows short-sightedness right um that you know there's something bigger at play and uh we should not hesitate to use whatever means we can to expand as opposed to contract contract the rights of texas craft brewers yeah absolutely so
1: uh, one of your partners in the fight is uh, just moving on to other tournaments. is revolver and oh, they have been
3: I never thought and I'd be asked about this.
1: <laughs> I know you've been you've been asked about it probably several times but how, I mean how do you feel about the revolvers sell of uh, a majority stake to to 10th uh, and Blake
3: I feel great <laughs> <laughs> how do I feel I feel great um no I don't know I
1: just from a in, so so a craft beer perspective I mean to I pull
3: back the curtain a little bit uh Rhett Keesler over at Revolver is probably my closest confidant in the beer industry. I used to say closest confidant in the craft beer industry. I don't know that they're a craft brewer anymore. Um, but he is, I mean, clearly we're in litigation together, right? Um, I I do not fault him or anyone else at Revolver that made that decision. I mean, these guys have worked hard to create a brand. And, you know, it is very flattering when someone comes to you and says, what you have created is special right. and we want to be a part of what you have created and we've got the resources mm-hmm. to do to your brand what you cannot do on your own and it is super flattering it is really cool to hear yeah. and you know if you're made an offer that you just can't refuse you know w- what do you do uh, I, I, I do not think this was their intent I think there are some breweries that do open up with the mindset of all I want to do is make money all I want to do is Position this thing for sale later, not just breweries but all any industry and there 's nothing wrong with that i don 't think this was their intent personally um, but I am not going to fault these guys. I still love those guys over there um, i you know I support them in their decision i 'm disappointed like I said that you know they 're not really a craft beer um, a craft brewer anymore, and i won 't really have them as a fellow Texas craft brewer to Uh, you know get together with and talk about ideas but uh, you know it's just a it it, a business decision was made and I'm not going to fault them for it those guys are still the same guys that I loved beforehand and I still love them now yeah on some level
2: it's tough to fault anybody for trying to make money and make your brand more widely available I I totally get that um, would you ever see any circumstance where Petacolas would partner with a macro or be sold to a macro in some form
3: <laughs> you know it's craft beer the what is going on in the craft beer industry is is it 's almost like the wild west right now it is changing so quickly um, I think you too would be surprised to or probably many of your listeners as well, surprised at just the level of activity that is going on amongst private equity, uh, big beer, other craft brewers, uh, discussions that these guys are having um, with some of our fellow Texas craft brewers. Uh, I would answer it this way: You know, I part of my vision is to be un- freedom to be unconventional, and I like to be able to. Uh, do things my way. And that has allowed me to do things differently than most. It's one of the ways I distinguish myself and my brand. And so a sale oftentimes will leave you in a position where you can no longer do things your way. And so it would be very difficult for me to go down that road. Um, I really don't think that's the road that i'm headed i'm that's certainly not my goal that's not why i'm doing this um but you know if constellation comes and offers you a billion dollars and your ballast point i'm i'm I, if yeah. i get offered a billion dollars i'm going to sell my brewery i'll tell you right now um <laughs> yeah and and but i'm not going to get a billion dollar offer i'm not ballast point i'm not revolver i mean i'm a little yeah. small tiny guy just brewing a little bit of beer i'm not uh so I don't, I don't foresee that as my path. And that's not why I got into this. This is a family business for me. I, I love what I do. I have a passion for beer. I got into this business because I wanted to get out of the legal profession right. and into something different. I love what I do. I enjoy making beer. I'll never forget driving in one morning at like 5, 4 a.m. thinking, man, I'm going to brew beer. This is awesome. So I really like what I do. So that is definitely not the route that I think that we're headed.
1: So you, um, you have three kids, right? You have Correct. twins and a girl, right? A daughter that's not a twin?
3: Yeah, well, I've got 13. Uh, God, is she? No, no, she's 12. Uh, 12-year-old daughter and then twins, boy-girl, boy-girl right. twins. For, okay. So do you, I mean, they're all really
1: young, obviously. Do you? Do any of them show interest in your business and do you ever have any dreams of them taking it over when you decide to, you know, roll into retirement?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's a whole other issue because transitioning from, you know, uh, generation to generation for... A business also presents a unique set of problems, um, or it's a unique situation. It can it can work in many instances, and it won't work in many other instances. So how you transition that is one thing. And yeah, we're talking much further down the road. Sure. But they're all interested in it. They love it. Yeah. You know, they think it's cool that you know we go into Dotty and they see our tap handles on there. That you know yeah. they're. I mean, I've, they've come home and told me, their teacher told, my teacher told me that she loves Velvet Hammer, right? And yeah. so then we, I see the teacher, I'm like, cool, that was really cool. And she goes, right after I told your kid that, I thought, should I have told their kid <laughs> that, you know? But I love that. They enjoy that. I mean, they've been a part of it since the start. I mean, it's named after, it's got our name on it. You know, I can remember it on day one, them going out. Like the first tour we ever had, trying to offer up stickers. And people are like, yeah, I want a sticker. And then they just be like, oh, $1. (laughs) You know? And so, yeah, Yeah. they absolutely enjoy this. My son definitely uh, loves to talk beer. And, you know, my oldest daughter, she's just already got the entrepreneurial spirit, whether it's a brewery or something else. And, you know, we're watching Shark Tank and doing all that. So (laughs) she'll probably be a small business owner of some sort or another. But, you know, you never know what the future holds. And that's, you know, that's a ways down the line.
1: (laughs) Uh, so let's go back to the beginning. Uh, I want to know, where did you grow up? El Paso, right?
3: Yeah. So I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. I you know, went uh, all through you know, kindergarten through senior year at high yeah. school in El Paso. I left at 18, and I actually moved back there for 10, 11, maybe even a year, 12 months uh, after I graduated law school before I came back here. But basically, I, I left El Paso when I graduated high school. Started at Texas Tech. um, What year was that? I graduated in '89, so I'm, you know, much older than you guys. (laughs) Thanks for fronting me out on that. I appreciate that. Uh, Started at Texas Tech and realized in fairly short order that Lubbock was not for me, and moved here to Dallas in '92. Uh, Yeah,
1: we grew up in uh, we grew up in Abilene, so. Oh. We understand that uh, Abilene was not for us either. Neither was Lubbock.
3: Yeah, we know that area of Texas. Yeah, yeah. We're quite well-versed. I might rather live in Lubbock than Abilene. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I guess Abilene is closer to Dallas, so, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a little more centrist, I guess. Moved here in 92 and left shortly for law school and then came back. So, you know, I, I don't know. I've li- I, I almost consider this home now. I think I've lived here longer than anywhere else. Um, so, yeah, Dallas is home.
1: Yeah, we, uh, I've been here since '98, and Dustin's been here since '99, I think. 2000, is it 2000? Yeah. yeah. So we've just kind of we moved. We met in uh, seventh grade, which was '91 ish. Yeah. And we've been friends ever since. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. And we've we've been here ever since as well. So you have? Do you have just one brother, Charlie? Right. He was uh, a cop. No, two. You uh,
3: two? my brother Richard actually lives here in. DFW, and then Charlie is. Well, he's currently living in Arlington, Virginia, but he's lived in L.A. for the past ten years. Okay. Are you the
1: youngest? uh, Middle? Yes. I'm the youngest. And what does your other brother do, Richard? Uh, He's a
3: director of finance for Michaels, actually. Oh,
1: okay. Yes. And is your is Charlie still a cop? I assume.
3: Uh, No. So he he's. God, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say. I guess I'm allowed to say. I think it's maybe even on my website. But, yeah, so he's an FBI agent. He's worked for okay. the FBI for a decade and a half or something like that. Okay, that's cool. He was a cop some time ago in Albuquerque, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I love the uh, description for sit-down. You talked yeah. about his uh, episodes I mean, of
3: Cops. Those are the best names, the ones that, you know, were... Originated from the family or has some you know extra meaning other than just a beer name, but yeah, sit down or I sit sit down or I'll sit you down was definitely a line that we uttered to each other many many times after seeing his performance on Cops when they followed him around, which was
2: great. Yeah, speaking of your family background and looking on your website, I saw that you you were originally inspired uh, by your mother who actually created a uh, Mexican style beer. Have you? Just out of curiosity, have you guys ever thought about maybe trying to put that out as a special release with Peticolis?
3: I get that question a lot. You know, maybe I ought to consider that. I never really thought about it. Um, You know, there are still so many styles of beer that I want to do. And, you know, my approach has never been to have 61 different beers. You know, I've probably been a little bit more of a minimalist with the number of styles that we put out than your traditional brewer. Um, I mean, there's still a porter that I want to do. There's still a milk stout I want to do. There's still a stout I want to do. There's a number of beers I want to do before I really think about doing that. I mean, it it would fit well. And I mean, when story is great, because I like to connect to people. And so maybe there will come a time and the more I get questions about it, the more likely I am to do it because I am very, very responsive to what the market wants. And so Mm. when people are talking about that, uh, hmm, I start to think, well, maybe that is a good idea. Uh, but, you know, it's also, man, all right, well, are you asking that question because it would make for a good story, or are you going to want to drink that kind of beer? Right. Is your mother still with us? Yeah, absolutely she is. is she sh- stopped brewing not long after I got into it, saying, well, forget this. You know, your beer is so yeah. much better than mine <laughs> uh, that I'm not going to do it anymore. But, yeah, she actually lived in El Paso most of her life, but she just recently moved here to... North Texas as well.
1: So, what does she think of your uh, your success and your brewery? Oh, and? she
3: loves it. Yeah. I mean, she thinks it's great. I think I think she gets a big kick out of going into local bars and yeah. you know saying, "Hey, that's my son's beer." You know, yeah. that's my son's beer. She 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 gets a kick out of it for sure. I think all my family members probably yeah. do. I mean, I've been hit up by pedicles all over the country saying, "Oh, yeah, we're related via Alfred Brown. I need to buy a T-shirt or something <laughs> like that." So, I, I think it's been pretty general consensus among the Pedicolis clan and you know there's not a ton of pedacoluses which is one of the reasons we named the brewery after our name but yeah they've always they've given us a great deal of support and they seem to take a lot of pride in it
1: so i found your uh your uh law website and i saw that in there it said you're the, the fifth generation trial attorney uh so why did you choose to leave personal injury law or law altogether
3: um So really, the story is that before I went to law school, I put together a list of the goals that I wanted to accomplish in the legal industry, and uh, I went on my way practicing law and really enjoy the practice of law. In fact, when I got into brewing, I eventually thought I would go back to practicing law, but brewing is so much more fun that I will probably (laughs) stick to brewing as opposed to going back to practice law, but... I came across that list in two thousand, maybe 2009, but I think it was 2010 and started, you know, just crossing everything out. And I realized as I went over the list that I had done everything that I set out to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the kind of guy that can just really go through the motions. I I really want a challenge. Um, I want the day to challenge me. And so I started thinking about, all right, well, if I'm going to do something else, what would I do? I mean, practicing law, as you said, a fifth generation attorney attorney was in my blood that was kind of always you know this is probably what I'll do you know maybe I'll end up doing something else um, but you know I always had that in my back pocket mm-hmm. um, and so that was the, the route that I took but ultimately I was in a position I thought well let's do you know let's make a passionate job and I really have two passions in life and it's beer and soccer and I literally could not find anybody who wanted a you know wrong side of the prime of his career ex torn up acl you know right midfielder there wasn't yeah. anyone out there you know i contacted fc dallas and i'm the only really uh interest they seem to have uh from just you know a cold call was you know sales on the very low level and i wouldn't that just isn't something that i was going to be able to do right um simply because i enjoyed working for myself and didn't want to be in a sales position bottom of the totem pole you know yeah. leaving at four o'clock having to listen to someone say hey why are you leaving at four o'clock you know, right I, I didn't want that so uh i thought well beer um i've got soccer's not going to work and i do something in the beer industry and i was brewing beer yeah at home at the time i'm like i love beer and my wife and i had received a business plan to invest in a brewery and we're seriously considering investing in it mm-hmm. um till one night you know we were really talking about what we liked about what the plan entailed or what we liked about the plan itself, what we didn't like. And then one night she's like, well, why don't we do this ourselves? And that's literally when the light went off over my head. I'm like, yeah, why don't we do this ourselves? Because Dallas at the time was the largest city in the United States without a brewery. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it's either because there's no market for it, which is a very, very real possibility. You better consider that or no one's capitalized on the opportunity. Obviously I thought it was the latter as opposed to the former. and, and also thought, yeah, if I don't do it, I think when I'm 70 years old, I'll look in the mirror and regret it. And right. I don't want to have the regret. I would rather try and fail uh, than to never, you know, give it a shot at all.
1: So, what are so starting with that business plan would have been the? What's the process of starting a brewery? Or at least your experience. What were the? And what were some of the challenges along the way? Just going from nothing to where we are now.
3: Well, it's 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 basically challenge after challenge after challenge. You need to really negotiate negotiate a rocky road you better be able to overcome obstacles Mm -hmm. uh you know when i started it was not even legal to brew beer where we're sitting right now i literally had to change the the law to be able to brew beer um so that was a challenge that's a big barrier to entry Uh, you know, I educated myself. I enrolled with the American Brewers Guild and took their intensive brewing science and engineering program. I'm a big believer in education, but I wanted to have some education and some way to figure out how to scale up what I was doing in my backyard at five gallons to, you know, 500 gallons at a time. So there are definitely points in this process where, uh, it's, there's one point in particular where it's kind of no looking back, but you're going through the process. Hey, I've educated myself. You you write a business plan. If you don't write a business plan, you're fooling yourself. It'll really make you ask the hard questions of yourself as to whether or not, you know, it's going to succeed. But where it all really hinges is opening a brewery is a capital intensive process. Mm -hmm. Right. And once you write that check for all that brewing equipment, At that point, it's, you know what, (laughs) all, you know, full sail ahead. Um, There's no turning back. That equipment is now starting to be uh, uh, produced, and you are in it. You're in it for the Mm -hmm. long haul. You know, you've written this massive check. I mean, it's a big check to get this equipment um, rolling. And then the next thing is, all right, well, that equipment is going to show up in X number of months, and I better have a facility ready to receive said equipment. And there's just bumps all along the way i will never forget talking uh you know our first year we were fortunate and uh we won a gold medal at the great american beer festival and there were i guess real ale had won something as well and i was talking to a guy over there and he mentioned one of the problems that they were having and i'm like oh my god i thought by the time you were your size you had that figured out and he's like oh no the problems just get bigger and more frequent the bigger you get. And that <laughs> right. was kind of an eye-opener for me to realize, oh, there's just always something else. There's always something else being thrown at you. I mean, state mm-hmm. Senate Bill 639, for example, there's right. another one, you know, a curveball out of left field. Mm-hmm. So you just need to really figure out how to roll with the punches. I'm a big believer in it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond to what happens to mm-hmm. you. And you need to figure out and, you know, reflect and figure out what's the best – method of responding to this uh obstacle to the situation that may be difficult that's been you know put before you so
1: you you're i won't say you're famous for it but you're you don't bottle right now you only distribute to within 39 miles of dallas and i've got another question on that in a minute but is keeping thing is is one of the reasons for not bottling is keeping things as financially lean as possible because yesterday we saw that grapevine I mean, Specs put out a tweet that said they were shutting down out completely. Uh, but actually what they're doing is just going down to a tap room only and they're not going to distribute beer anymore. Is that one of the reasons for not bottling is because you're trying to keep things, keep the challenges as few and far between, especially financially?
3: God, so lot, lot, so many ways to answer that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's the answer to that. Um, there are a number of factors that go into that. So you know, no, none of these two breweries that are around here are exactly identical. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, what works for one uh, brewery is not going to work for another brewery. The route that Revolver took wouldn't work um, for me, you know, and part of it is how are you structured? Uh, Again, yeah, I don't have, I own 100% of this brewery. I don't know how many other brewers out here are, can actually say that, but I literally own all of it. I don't have to go to an investor. I don't have to go to a bank. I don't know a penny on this place. So it allows us to, again, when I kind of mentioned my vision of being, you know, free to be unconventional, it it allows me to be unconventional in that matter. And so when you ask about bottling, part of it is everybody's bottling. I mean, it used to be the model uh, that you... uh, opened a brewery and you hit draft accounts and you established your brand that way and then you started bottling those days are gone and over now brewers are bottling or canning as quickly as they possibly can and trying to get their beer anywhere and everywhere as quickly as they can and i don't fault him that's a perfect model but that wasn't my model my model was very slow consistent growth i don't carry any debt so you know i'm not uh Uh, I reinvest in the brewery constantly. We've been through two expansions, but uh, protecting myself financially, absolutely. That's a facet of it, but probably a bigger facet of it is, A, everyone else is doing it, and I'd rather do, when everyone zigs, I like to zag. But two other massive reasons, distribution and quality. Beer is better. Draft beer is better. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, when I keg my beer, it goes straight from a bright tank at 39 degrees, 38 degrees, straight into my cooler that is 38, 39 degrees, straight into my refrigerated box truck, straight into a retailer's refrigerator. It is staying cold, um, never being subjected to uh, light and uh, subjected to very, very little travel. So, for me, it was very important for consumer to have a an exceptional not a good but an exceptional experience with their first uh drink of my beer. Craft beer drinkers are finicky right? You drink something and you don't like it. It is hard to get that guy back it's going to be hard to get him back, so I wanted to uh I wanted people in the market to know my beer before I ever got into a bottle or a can. I would still say people don't know my beer. I used to have a lot of confidence in that, but now a little less. I think we have actually done a decent job of establishing a brand in the market. And the craft beer guys definitely know us. Um, But, you know, still putting that bottle on those You know, I go to Kroger, I go to Central Market, we all do, right? And you see these big, huge, beautiful displays of that beer sitting out at 72 degrees, and guess what? It's degrading, right? And unless you're really investing in proper bottling equipment or proper canning equipment, You're killing your product, right? I mean, you could get into it, do it very inexpensively for $50,000 and put something that's going to let all kinds of oxygen in and stale that beer. And then guess what? That first drink of that beer that that consumer has, if that's their first beer, they're going to be like, oh, my God, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And it's not at all what the brewer intended. I I use an example of a local brewer here who makes a beer I absolutely love. One day, my wife brought home a six-pack. I opened up one of those beers and poured it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is nowhere close to what this beer is supposed to be. And it really reinforced in my mind. I mean, I know the beer. I love the beer. I'm going to continue to order the beer because I know the beer. But I think about the regular consumer who says, oh, God, that was my first experience with this beer. I'm not going to drink it anymore. Yeah. And so that is also a problem. Um Size is also an issue, right? You know, if because, because if I'm going to get into bottling, you know, I'm not going to do a little $50,000 expansion. You know, you're, you're talking about a half million dollars, right, right? to actually bottle and do it properly, um, not just do it. I don't, I'm, not about th- I'm not about doing things quickly. I'm about doing them properly. So if I'm going to get into it, I want to do it properly. But then it goes right back into distribution. I can distribute these nice big kegs, 15 and a half gallons, five gallons to these retailers who make great return on the beer that we sell him who know us by name who enjoy us who we literally you know eat together go i go to the restaurants i support them when you go to kroger and drop off beer they don't care about you or who you are they want you to go straight in that shelf hey michael that shelf uh your guy wasn't in here he left at 10 last night it's you know it's it's nine this morning we need that thing straightened out again and i don't have the resources to uh distribute beer in a pack the package game it's a different model um again i I don't know that consumers know that i don't know that all brewers know that until they get into it but distributing a packaged product as opposed to a keg is is apples and oranges they're two different things and can i today right now distribute bottles and cans and provide the level of service that i expect of my company the answer is no unfortunately until i can do it and I'm not saying that I can't, uh, you know, there are some examples of folks out there who have done it. I'm not going to do it. Um, a distributor can really, really, that's where, you know, it comes into, well, heck, if I'm going to distribute and I need a distributor and now I have to give my rights away, yeah. you know, it's a uh, right. So it plays right into that. But there, So it's not just a yes, no question. A yes, no answer to the question. There are sure. so many facets of, of bottling that right. people don't necessarily yeah, there's a lot
1: in there I'd never even thought about. So speaking of being small, why? <laughs> I was wondering, it says on your website you only distribute to 39 miles around Dallas. Why, why not 40? I mean, why is there a specific reason for 39?
3: Yeah, the, 39 really only developed because I searched long ago how far away Fort Worth and Denton are from Dallas. And one was 35 miles from my brewery, and one was 39. I think maybe Denton's further. Maybe Denton's 39. And so that just stuck. I'm like, that's as far as we're going to go. We're not going to go any further. And it goes back to the fact that I can't... For me, it's about not having the beer there on one occasion. It's about always having that beer there, the repeat customer, right? So when I ha- I want my beer to be at Metal Moth every time I go there. It's, and this is, again, where I differ from many other breweries I'm not it's not about getting anywhere and everywhere as fast as I can I want to saturate this market it's only becoming more and more hyper local five years ago 512 made a nice local beer that I would drink here in Dallas well you know fast forward to today any beer from Austin is not local you know and and Maybe a few more months, Fort Worth beer is not local to Dallas anymore. So for me, it's about this location. And I don't want to just send a truck down to Austin and drop off beer because, again, I haven't figured out how to service that market the way I service the market here. If there's an issue, you call us, and we're handling that issue, if not that day, by the next day. And I feel like I'm selling my company short if I go down to Austin and someone says, hey, I ran out of beer or this line has an issue. Oh, okay, well, we'll be down there next Wednesday. All right. Uh, You know that's not perfect for the customer. I want to deliver to the customer what I deliver to my customers here. And, uh, you know, you can do it. Revolver, I mean, again, they're a great example. They have somehow packaged product, somehow gotten their beer to Austin and other cities, and um, they figured it out with the self-distribution model. So it can be done. I just haven't had any of the external forces on me to do that because we've grown at such a rate that it's made me and my employees happy? Will I consider doing that? Yeah, at some point I will. Do I want to have beer in Austin or in Houston all over the state eventually? Yeah, at some point I do, but I want, when I do it, I want it to be with the strategy and as effective as what we have been able to pull off here.
1: Right, yeah. That's, you t- I completely understand what you're, where you're coming from on that. It makes, it makes total sense. So you used to do, from what I understand, every job in the brewery. What is your role now? Do you still do every job, or what do you do specifically now, other than (laughs) than maybe come up with recipes? I I, I
3: love that question. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, for the first year, I did you you name it. I cleaned the bathrooms. I brewed the beer. I uh, cellared the beer. I kegged the beer. I delivered it to accounts. I answered all questions my day-to-day now is much uh you know there is a lot more of working on the business than in the business for me now you know it's much more strategic what are we going to do how are we going to uh, um accomplish this goal goal setting um you know it's it, it it's funny because you know i got into this thing and yeah this is awesome i'm getting away from the computer and i'm literally brewing beer and i love brewing beer and it's you know, it's physically you know exhausting. You'd get a workout doing it, but I loved it. Right. And now I'm, I haven't brewed a beer this year. I think the last beer I brewed was last year. Um, and I used to always brew the new beer, but my brewers are so darn good that, you know, it's like, all right, well, here's the recipe. Let's go ahead and try this with the new beer. So, I mean, I'm definitely very highly involved in Every aspect of what happens here, whether it's brewing, whether it's distribution, whether it's financial, whether it's human resources, whatever it is, um, you know, the buck stops with me. So how do you uh, – how was it – how do you – because you've got
1: a family, you've got kids. How hard is it to balance family life with work life, especially when you were doing all the jobs back then? But
3: Yeah, um, I've always had a knack to be able to figure that out. Some people – I always screw this up. Some people live to work. Some people work to live. I work to live. Uh, you know, for me, I would rather spend time with my family and friends sitting around drinking beer, um, having a good time, than working. Now, you, you, there's, a, there's, you know, you can't just extend that out all the way. You've got to work. I mean, you've got to function. You've got to be a... a, a good citizen, right? You, get, you, know, you need to put yourself in a situation where you're doing all the things that you need to do to be a contributing member of society. So I always had the ability to seem to be able to figure out how to weave in the work life with the family life. But again, that's kind of where I'm different than most. When you talk about you know, I, I I'm giving away revenue by not bottling or canning because I could probably double production if I did that. I'm giving away revenue because I am not open for a tour every weekend. I don't have a tap room here. You know what? I mean, just about every brewery now is open, has a tap room, and is open all the time. And the reason I have the reason I'm only open four hours a month, two hours on you know, the first and third Wednesday is because on those other Saturdays, I want to spend time with my family. And when I have these tours, guess what? I'm here. Um, I don't believe it's the beer industry. I believe it's the entertainment industry. People want to be entertained. They want to have a good time. I love it down here. When someone comes and they talk to us and my crew, you know, they, it's about the experience. I want them to have fun and to think, man, that was awesome. I loved it as opposed to, And I've been in a breweries where it's like this. You walk in and it's just some guys pouring beer that don't know anything about the brewery, anything about it. I don't meet anyone who has anything to do with the brewery. And that's not the experience I want when people come in here. I want them to have a kick-ass experience. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I just don't want to work every single weekend. Um, And as a result, I'm just not open as often. But it's a good example of, you know, the fact that I don't have uh, an investor breathing down my... Next, saying, Well, see that weekend revenue? We could double that very easily by doing this every weekend. I don't have to listen to that. It's like, Well, I, I recognize that and I know what that amount is, but that amount is not worth me not spending another Saturday with my family or friends.
2: To get kind of more into the uh, quick hit random questions,
3: uh, what, what was your first craft beer? Gosh, that's—it's it, hard for me to say what my first craft beer was. I mean, for me, it all started with Mexican beers. I mean, I was walking across the border at the age of fifteen from El Paso in Juarez, drinking buckets of beer. A bucket of beer was two bucks, and you got five beers. It was two dollars for five beers, and that was Dos Equis or Carta Blanca or Pacifico. Um, you know, whatever Tecate was another big beer we would drink back then. Got it, you know. Uh, the person who really got me into enjoying, really, at the time we just called them exports or imports, excuse me, right? And really, before I started enjoying craft beer, I started enjoying your Franzix Connors, your, you know, this Julius Eckler Hefeweizen, oh, this thing's awesome. And then it started to bleed into your Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, right? I mean, so, oh, God, it's still such a great beer. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, it just, like the door opens up, right? And you kind of say goodbye to all that, you know, big beer that you've been drinking before. And it's like you've got so much to explore. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was years. It was a number of years before I opened up a Belgian ale. I remember the first time I opened up a Belgian ale, and I'd been drinking all kinds of beer for a long period of time. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a different experience than any of these other beers have ever provided me. Uh, So, you know, Sierra Nevada was definitely one of those early ones, as was Anchor Steam. Uh, But, you know, your Julius your Sammy Smiths. uh, I was drinking a lot of that as well before, you know, got into some of the jewels that you know of in the craft beer industry
2: so outside of your own brewery uh, of course uh, do you
3: have a favorite brewery that you could point to i do um if i just say hey this is my favorite single brewery it's new glaris brewing company in wisconsin uh it's funny because i heard you you know y'all, i listened to y'all's last podcast where y'all reviewed sit down or i'll sit you down and kind of a funny story about that is Brewers are very hard on themselves. You, you ask, "Hey, hey, quick hit," and my response doesn't seem to be a quick no, hit. No, answer no, the answer isn't the, the uh, quick. Not uh, but um, I really, really respect the beers that they produce at New Glarus. And uh, I had they make a double IPA called Screamin' or Screamin' Eagle or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it's called. And I had. A glass of it one day after work when I was at home. I'm like, God dang, this beer is good. This this beer is awesome. It's another hit by New Glares. Every beer I have of theirs is really good. And I thought, this is one of the best IPAs, double IPAs I've ever had. Well, the next day I came home, and so in my garage I have my refrigerator where I pulled that bottled beer out of, and right next to that is one of my kegerators, and I poured myself a sit-down and I took a drink of that beer, and as I was walking to uh, my back door, I'm like, oh man, this beer, this beer's as good as that beer I had yesterday, and I literally stopped in my tracks, and I, uh, that was another one of those seminal moments for me where I had never given me or my brewery real credit for. I mean, I had, you know, won awards and, you know, had a lot of accolades and write ups, but never gave myself the credit. Never, other people would say it's great, but just like, I, I never was all the way there bought in it's like oh it got to be awesome got to make exceptional beer got to be awesome it's got to be exceptional beer exceptional beer it's all about the beer 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 it's not merchandising it's just beer and when i literally set that down or, or brought that beer off of my lips and thought that i just said this beer was as good as the beer made or brewed by the brewery that i hold in the highest of regards i'm like dude give yourself some credit and that was the first time i literally you know literally patted myself on the back and said good job, you actually are making good beer. That was the first time.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So what advice would you give, or maybe warnings, to a startup brewer?
3: Where to start? Um... Maybe just your number one piece of advice or warning. Number one, business plan. <laughs> uh, I alluded to it before. Write a business plan. You know, there's a section where you're considering your opportunities and your threats out there. Uh, you, craft beer is growing. We know that. But it's not growing at the rate of new breweries opening. Mm-hmm. Um, when I said, you know, there maybe there's no market in North Texas for a craft beer, you, you need to consider that. When I got in and Deep Ellum got in and Lakewood and Revolver, it was just a few of us and there was this huge movement going on and D magazines writing articles and the observers writing articles. And we got into the public eye very, very quickly and we all kind of distinguished them, our, ourselves from one another. I mean ourselves and Deep Ellum, you know, those were the first two. I was right after those guys and we cannot be any more different in terms of how we come across, which was great because we were both able to identify with different um, Consumers, but oh, and I was going to say, now,
2: definitely way different than Franconi and Rar, which were really the
3: only ones around here. Yeah, right. My understanding at the time, absolutely. Um, but where I'm going with that is, if you're opening up a brewery now, you open up to little to no fanfare. I mean, people will come to me and say, "Oh, hey, I had this brewery's beer." I'm like, "Oh, I didn't. I hadn't heard of that brewery. I didn't right. even know they were open." So you better have a plan, mm-hmm. right, to differentiate yourself and be different from other people, as opposed to just try to do what other people have already done and i might say look at the market right find a market where i mean we were able to do that here in north texas north texas is way underdeveloped what happened here happened so much later than it in in many other parts of the country this has already happened um so you might want to look to a place that has that uh you know and i would just say that I mean, do your homework, uh, because, I mean, you referenced Grapevine yesterday. No, they're not closing, but they're changing operations, and uh, it's a changing world, and there's mergers and acquisitions and private equity money behind other folks, and are you going to have the resources, are you going to have the know-how to get into the market and really actually make a difference, because... Between me, you, and all your listeners and everyone else who will listen, I don't think that we are done hearing about breweries that are going to fail here in Texas and North Texas as well. Yeah, there's a
1: – well, you can't always put a lot of stock in rumors, of course, but one of the big ones I've been hearing lately is somebody's about to buy one of the breweries around here, like Lockstock and you know, everything, uh, just a turnkey operation. Like we saw um, – well, Firewell, when they shut down, uh, Backcountry out of Colorado bought their entire operation – and apparently, I don't know who it is, but uh, there's been no names tossed around, but that's the, apparently the latest rumor. So,
3: I think, I think you should absolutely be ready for something like yeah. that. I mean, that's what's happening across the country. Don't think that, you know, uh, Texas is unlike what's happening everywhere else. And I think the revolver transaction of last week, I guess that was just last week, right? Yeah. Really kind of the independence transaction with Heineken, Lagunitas, you know, maybe a month, mm-hmm. two months ago, really sends that signal that – This stuff's happening here, and I'm trying to tell you guys, this stuff is happening here, and you should be ready for it. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to uh, move in the craft beer industry right now, and I think uh, you shouldn't... I mean, was I surprised by the revolver sale? Not in the least bit. I mean, it didn't surprise me at all. I was actually most surprised that it had taken this long. I'd maybe targeted somebody else is actually happening first, but in no way am I surprised, and I definitely don't think you should be surprised if... um, with any kind of merger or acquisition or restructuring because it's, it's going to happen.
1: We want to be uh, definitely conscious of your time. So we've got two more questions. Sure. Uh, what does your day look like on average? What is what your work day look like on average?
3: It depends on the work day on Monday. I was in the suit in a suit for the <laughs> first time in quite some time, you know, in Austin, um, enjoying the hearing on our motion for summary judgment. It was actually kind of nice going to court, not having to prepare (laughs) and letting somebody else do that. So it really depends on the day. Uh, you know, today I, uh, had you guys in, I actually talked to some distributors other earlier in the day, not because I want to, uh, you know, sign a distributor because I really don't want to sign a distributor. Mm -hmm. I enjoy distributing my own beer, but you know, that's part of the being in the industry. Um, you know, part of the, day prior to that was strategy with some of the things that i will be doing over the course of the end of this year and end of next year
2: i do have to say it's impressive that you do self-distribute because um i I think we mentioned this on the episode that you listened to but velvet hammer is one of the most common craft beers that appears everywhere you know maybe deep lm ipa and you guys seem to be the two that uh get in everywhere so i I feel like that uh you know we talked to other craft brewers that have self-distributed in the past and it seems like that's quite uh quite an intense process to be able to uh maintain all of those different taps and, and deal with all those relationships so um yeah franconi was one that we talked to and uh, lakewood was one we talked to just to mention a couple um, when they were self-distributing and so that's that's very impressive that you guys have been able to have such a presence and, and get into all these locations
3: yeah i mean we're really running two businesses here uh when you talk about my day-to-day um I'm operating a brewery. I'm responsible for the brewery's operations. But I'm also, we're running a distribution business. I'm also responsible for a distribution business. Um, and I definitely take pride in how we've been able to penetrate the market, distributing on our own. I think, I don't know for a fact, I think we're actually the largest. Um, we're a small brewery still, but I think we're the largest self-distributing brewery. But I'm, I remain a big believer that um, I can represent my brand better than anybody else can and when that distributor walks in with 20 brands i think our guy that walks in with one brand can do a better job servicing that customer um but you know time will tell it's only there there are limits to self-distribution i will tell you i mean one of the you asked about hey i would love to have a big giant cooler in austin and then i could distribute out of austin right well well guess what there's a law that says i can only have my beer spend the night at my manufacturing facility. So when any of these brewers from North Texas send beer down to uh, Austin or Houston or wherever, if they don't have a distributor, that beer has to be back here by the end of the day. And so you've got these tired drivers on the road um, going back and forth. So, you know, it's just kind of another example of how, man, our back's against the wall. We really can't have a distribution operation there. Mm. You've got to do this, as my buddy Rhett has uh, mentioned this Berlin airlift to (laughs) distribute beer to another city. Think about trying to distribute beer to El Paso. It's a 10 hour drive.
1: Yeah. Wow. That is very daunting. So last question. It's kind of silly, but uh, you know, in Texas we have several personal injury lawyers that had, have like the Texas hammer. They have, you know, crazy nicknames. Did you ever have a nickname? Like something ridiculous?
3: I I detest all those (laughs) nicknames. I'm that's just the off, you know, you mentioned the long line of lawyers that I come from. If I had, if, You know, if I had it my way, we'd go back to 1970, and you could not even advertise. Lawyers couldn't advertise. Back then, you're handing out a card. That was your advertisement. It's degrading to the profession, I think. I think it's degrading to have a name like the Texas Hammer or all that. Um, You know, it it used to be a very noble profession, something that I still take pride in it, but I think, you know, you went to a dinner party. In 1920, uh, with my great grandfather, and he says, "I'm a lawyer." And people, "Ooh, wow, how interesting! You're a lawyer. Let me ask you questions." You know, I go to a dinner party. Oh, I'm a lawyer. Oh, really? My brother's a lawyer. Oh, my son's a lawyer. Oh, my right. neighbor's a lawyer. Everyone's a lawyer. Um, but no, I'm I'm firmly against the <laughs> nicknames for an attorney because yeah. I just think it's degrading to the profession. I, I see it higher. I see it as above that. But I'm I'm probably on an island there too. What a surprise!
1: Have you seen, uh, just as the last, last point, have you seen the guy, uh, I forget his name, he just he calls himself the Law Hawk, and he's the one that did all the ridiculous
3: Oh, yeah, I have seen that. <laughs> that guy's now, awesome. Now, again, entertainment is yeah. entertainment, right. and that's hilarious, and if you're going to do it, you know, yeah. go, go all the way, you know, do yeah. it all the way. I mean, he's doing it as well as the guy from Better Call Saul, you know.
1: Yeah, um, and, and if you see, if you, I heard an interview with him just outside of that, and he talked about, obviously it was just for a marketing stunt, and he's, he actually comes across as way less... Uh, full of himself than some other attorneys might, you know, come across as. So it's nice to see that he's really taking it just as a parody. Yeah, and he, oh, he's really sure. using it to I fuel his business.
3: It's clear that that's yeah. what he's doing, right? Yeah. And so it comes across that way for sure. Well,
1: thank you for your, all your time. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and uh, congratulations on all your success.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, and let's go pour another beer. <laughs>
1: So there was our, I think, extremely successful, most luxurious interview with Michael Petticolos. Tremendous. Uh, thanks again to Michael. He was um, very, very gracious and uh, talked to us for a long time. So Yes, he did.
2: On an, on an off day when he's not normally supposed to have people in there. Right. He was well, busy. I mean, I'd say he's supposed to. I guess he does whatever the hell he wants, but when he doesn't normally have people in there.
1: Well, thanks for listening to yet another episode of BrewBlood. We are still here. We're gonna keep going as far as you know, or maybe we'll just stop tomorrow. But that was episode sixty-five you of Brewbloods. Call us at four six nine-five seven three beer. That's four six nine six six five-nine eight two seven. I think I have that number right. And get my maybe getting my two phone numbers I'll confused. Uh, you can I'll email us at break room I'm sorry, Brewbloods show at gmail.com. <laughs> I mean you can email us. You there. can. You can email us either the place. Uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at as uh Brewbloods. If you want to see out. more pictures from the brewery you can go to our website, brewbloods.net. There's also links there to subscribe to the show in every form and or fashion. iTunes, RSS, Google Play, tune in other things If you don't know How to subscribe ow, there's, ow, ow, there's also a guy To show you how To subscribe to the show There's a guy? Is it you? It's a guy Yeah it's me Like with a completely Different more sexy body Do you use a laser pointer? I, no I'm dressed exactly Like Clippy from Microsoft <laughs> From uh, Windows 95 kind of
2: whirl Into the side Yeah like Hey I'm Clippy Mark <laughs> Boop, I'm going to show up. you How to subscribe To podcast. <laughs> I don't know why so I said like the, the kid from Overboard She goes Exactly they kind of sound like Louis Armstrong, too. A little bit. What a wonderful beer! Maybe we'll have an interview with uh, Clippy Mark next week. <laughs> Louis Armstrong, Clippy <laughs> Beer, Mark. Yeah.
1: All right, well, that was dumb. Uh, we'll catch you guys next
2: week for Uh-oh, episode like
1: 66. It. The interns don't like it. Episode 66 <laughs> of Brewbloods. For Dustin, I'm Mark. For Mark,
2: I'm Dustin. Probed. Probed.